right? And we're proud of it. We're proud of our ghetto culture. But what I'm really excited about, I had no idea. So I come up here this morning, and they're, and, you know, and they're asking me to play piano. So I'm over there, and they're like, John, we got your Christmas present. I'm like, you got me a Christmas present? So I'm like, yeah, you know, Christmas, because, you know, at my house, I give the presents. Anybody older in the room can testify. You give the presents, you don't get the presents, right? So when you get a present, it's a big deal. Well, guess what? Today, I got a present, and I was like, I didn't even notice what it was. Like, literally, it was over there, and it was covered up, and I thought, well, you know, they probably had something left over, uh, you know, here at CSU, so we had to cover it up, you know. That's how we typically do things. So I did not know what this was. I promise I had no idea. And they said, no, John, you got a Christmas present. Open it up. I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this up. They said, you sure? And I'm thinking, you know, they're playing. You, you got to understand something like, I know these people. Like, I know them, and I know they want to get back at me. You know, it's just like they just have this love to get back at me. So I said, okay, it's, it's going to be a great present, and I'm waiting on something to explode, you know, powder all over me, you know, something like really bad, right? So I, this is the present that they got me. Now, let me say this. As a pastor, like one of the things you always dream about, like I always dream of a couple things in my life. Number one is this, is, is us having a church sign. So like I could tell people they're going to hell and scare them. No, I'm kidding. That's not what I'm saying. But it's just like, it's kind of like exciting. You can put stuff on there. The next thing is I want a, I want a bus. I, I want a church bus. And, I, and I've told you, on the side of the bus, I want my picture. With me like this, with my arms going out, outside of the actual metal structure of the bus, like this, and I want my wife below me. Like, I'm prophet, apostle, right, reverend, doc, you, y'all with me? And like, I'm looking down on her like, know your role, do your job. You know, and I'm like, right? All right? That's really good. And then the third thing that every pastor longs for is a pulpit, because like in seminary, you would have... You would, ha- you would be graded, like you would have to, it was very technical, I just promise you, very technical, uh, not only with your scripture exegesis and everything else, but like literally when you could move away from the pulpit and when you could not. So uh, they get, they're like, here this is, I look at it, I'm like, well, it's something angled, I'm guessing the same thing as you did, I guess Faisal Town pulpit, I'm guessing, okay? But it was more than a pulpit. This was more than a pulpit. Let me show you, and I don't even know who did this, they won't tell me. I tried to grill my son in the bathroom. I threatened him with his life, but it didn't work out. Uh, he just beat me up. So this is what, are y'all ready? No, you're really ready? Okay, okay. Huh? Wait, check this out. It has a light. <laughs> now, you might think that's great. And what type of wood is it? Blood wood. I, I can't even hardly. Like that. Yeah, isn't that gorgeous? Like, this thing is heavy. It's metal. Oh, I lost my, I lost my, hold on. Where were you on December 24th? No, I'm kidding. Isn't that cool? Like, isn't that awesome? Like, and it even has my name on it. That's like, it's the most exciting gift I've ever had. I'm telling you, I just can't thank you. So I just want to thank you in the name of the Lord. I have a pulpit. I am a legitimate preacher. Hallelujah. Woo. I feel so special. I just want to do a dance. I feel a song coming on. (laughs) Y'all are like, this is really ghetto. I'm never coming back. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this pulpit. Woo, it is heavy. I don't know how I'm going to move it. I don't know how I'm going to carry it around. I think I'm going to put it in my bedroom, Lord. 
I think it's going in my bedroom, and I'm going to sleep with it. It's amazing, and I'm excited about it. This is the best thing, Lord, uh, that's happened to me in a long time, and I want to thank you. And I don't know who made this. I don't know who put their hands to it. I don't even know how they afforded this because this, to me, is very expensive. But what makes it so beautiful, Lord, is it holds the Word of God, which is priceless. So I'm asking today, Lord, I'm asking you to really move this day before Christmas Eve, this two days before Christmas, would speak to us. We came to encounter Jesus. And we don't want to leave the same. So I'm asking you, Lord, you have anointed so many people in this room in so many powerful ways. And who am I to stand in front of them and espouse the word of God? And only you can do that. So I'm asking your spirit to move mightily, and I'm asking us to trust you with every fiber of our being, and if death comes to our door, that it will be just like at the end of the Gospel of John when you told Peter that this is the way he is going to die to glorify Jesus. May that be said of us, that we hold on to you with everything we've got. This is not a roller coaster ride of up and downs. This is these are opportunities to give glory to the King of Kings who is more valuable and more satisfying and more beautiful than anything else because of the gospel of Jesus, God with us. Thank you for Emmanuel. We love you today, Lord, and I especially who want to thank you for all the people that put time into this pulpit. Lord, it is precious to me. It is precious. And I'll always in my heart, Lord, be grateful to you and to them for it. I cannot thank you enough for the rich blessings that you've given me. And Lord, even if you never did anything else, you've done more than enough. And we bless you and we thank you. And all God's people said what? Amen. All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 2. You know, we're doing the 12 words. Like Lou Giglio talked about the 12 words of Christmas, uh, uh, right? Uh, to us is born a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. That's the 12 words. But Matthew chapter 2, I'm enamored with the Magi. Uh, I am enamored that uh, they were not there on Christmas morning. They were not there on Christmas morning. Uh, I'll repeat, they were not there on Christmas morning, regard, morning, regardless of what you see out in front at CSU. Now, we have had some hoodlums at CSU. Well, actually, at Summit Church, I should say, not CSU, but they were former CSU students. I'm not going to mention any deacon's names or name, Brandon McCoy, who actually moved the um, Wiseman last year and got us in trouble. Well, not really. Nobody found out, but I knew, and so I was sworn to secrecy as a pastor, so don't ask, don't tell. So, uh, and I I think the Magi ended up, if I'm correct, I think they ended up over here somewhere. Like they were on their journey to see Jesus, which is correct because these magi were basically there. They came about three months to almost two years after Christ. They don't know the exact time because these magi, you, you got to understand, were these, were these uh, p- p- Persians and in that area, and they were astrologers in a sense. And they, they dealt with this, and they were always kind of looking to the stars, and, and that was Zoroastrianism and that whole idea behind that. And so it was, it was a culture, and they were kind of looked to. It was the science of the day, if you will. It was like the science. And so I'm enamored by this, and you're going to go, what does this have to do with Christmas? I know where John's going. He's going to go with the gifts that they gave him. Well, yes. And, I, and I'm, today, I'm going to show you a satanic Christmas. 
I am going to show you today a satanic Christmas in the Bible. Did you know there's a, there is a satanic Christmas in the Bible? And we're going to go there because we're going to see what God says. All right, so uh, Matthew chapter 2, if you don't mind, if you're physically able and you're willing, let's burn some calories. Let's stand and honor the Lord and the reading of his word. I'm really, really excited and I just can't get over. Again, I cannot get over this pulpit. Y'all know if y'all catch me staring or going off, it's, uh, I'm really excited about this. Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, five to eight miles south. So imagine if you're at CSU, this is Jerusalem, and you went down I-26. Once you got basically to 526, you're at Bethlehem. That close. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, that's kind of the area there, if you will. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they begin to quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and 4. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them uh, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. Notice the house. Not the stable cave. They were in a house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. So here's the idea behind this. Is here these magi come and they are looking for the king. They say the king of the Jews. Now notice what was on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So he was called king of the Jews. Herod wants to kill him at the beginning of his birth, uh, or at his birth, and at the end of his life, he's called king of the Jews at his crucifixion. So this king idea is around everything in this. So I, here's why we're at this worship today. Here's why we're at this juncture. Here's why you're coming to experience the Lord. Here's why. God will always come through on his promises. That is why I worship him. That is why I follow him. That is why I give everything. God will always come through on his promises. God's gifts 
are always coming to us. He is always giving. Yes, the gospel, the salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we get that vicariously through Jesus because we've sinned and separated ourselves from God and we deserve hell. But because of Jesus Christ, he paid that price for us. And the good news is we get it for free. But the best part of the gospel is that now is Emmanuel with us. God is with us and we get to experience this and his promises are ongoing. So that's the point I want to make today that God will always come through on his promises and Jesus is the fulfillment. Um, you can look up here, but right here you can write down in your Bible, make a note on your phone. By the way, all the notes are on Facebook as well. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, I've taught you this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but let me just tell you. Bottom line is this. When you say, in Jesus' name, at the end of your prayer, you are saying that Jesus is the yes to all of God's promises. If you're saying, God, I will go and serve you here. I will accept this job here. I will live here. Here, I will go share Jesus here. I will be a husband here. I will be a wife here. I will be a child here. I'll be, I'll be that student to my parents. Whatever it might be here. When you say in Jesus' name, you're saying, God, everything that you're telling me to do and everything that you say is done in Jesus. He is the yes. He is the yes to all of your promises, and then when you and I say amen, like when I tell you and all God's people say amen, and you say what? Amen. You've just said yes to Jesus. So if Jesus is the yes to God's promises, then when you and I say amen, when we say amen, we've just said, God, we will do whatever you ask us to do because we're doing it in Jesus, and Jesus will never let us down. That's what it means. God will always fulfill his promises. And that is why we worship this two days before Christmas as we get excited. So I want to give you some promises here. The first promise God will always fulfill. Here's number one. The first promise God will always fulfill is that he is with us. That is the gospel, Emmanuel. That is the beauty of the gospel. Yes, he died for us. Yes, it was for free. But we get Jesus. He is with us. The world will see Jesus as a threat. I love what Craig Bloomberg said. That therefore, if, they are, if we are following Jesus, we will receive the same treatment. Go back there in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to him and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now Herod, this pseudo-king, this fake king, this false king, is going to be infuriated by that. The world sees Jesus as a threat. Um, let's be honest. Why do they kill Christians? Do you have any good answers for that? I don't. What, what do real Christians do besides love people? Right? We forgive people. We're kind to people. What do real Christians do? When, when have we become this in, insurgents uh, 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 family? Or when, are we, when have we become people of violence? We, we bless those who curse us. We, we turn the other cheek. Right? We do those things. When have we ever become, we're not pacifists by any means, and I'm not saying that we're that, but, but I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. When are Christians ever really violent in a sense? But yet we're the ones that are being come after, being uh, sought after, and being put down and destroyed because of Jesus. And what did he do that was violent? 
What violent act? I mean, the harshest things that Jesus ever said, he said to people who were supposed to be following God, right? The Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. I love calling my family that. Just kidding. I, I do. It's fun. All right, so this is what I mean. It's always a threat. John 15, 20 kind of, you know, uh, reconciles us in my heart. Remember these words I spoke to you. This is Jesus. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will, what saints? Persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. So in other words, we are going to be persecuted. Listen, the first promise that God always fulfills and he is with us. Just because things go wrong in our lives or in somebody else's lives who's a Christian does not mean God is not with you. People don't get cancer because of sin. Now, can they get cirrhosis of the liver and those stuff? I mean, can, can you bring it on if you're staying in sin? Yes, but I'm talking about if you're a Christian, that doesn't mean you get that. Like if, I'm a, if, if I'm, I've become a drunk and I damage my liver and I'm an alcoholic, yes, I can get cirrhosis. There is a sin that leads to death. 1 John 5, 16, absolutely true, yes. But I'm talking about as believers, just because people get sick and people die and bad things happen does not mean, does not mean that, bad, that we've done some type of sin in our life, that that's why we have this bad thing. In fact, 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16, I've taught you all this, but let's just set it up. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16 says this. For we are to God, Now I love this, that's what we prayed back there before we came out. We are to God, the idea behind this, the aroma of Christ. When we walk by people, people ought to smell Jesus. People ought to smell Jesus. Check this out. This is beautiful. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So there's two types of people in this world. Those who are being what? Those who are being and those who are, those who are what? Good, two types. Not red, yellow, black, and white. Two types. That's the way I look at everybody. And so what he's saying is, we are that aroma. So we are to be Jesus in the skin to them. They don't read the Bible, they read those who read the Bible, right? That's the way it is. So we walk out and we do this. We flow in this. Are y'all with me? You track me. You are Jesus to people. They don't read the Bible. They can't tell you the Bible. I teach classes here. I say, and it's a privilege. How many of you in this room, I would say this to my class, every semester, how many of you in this room have never opened the Bible and you would not believe how many hands go up and say, I've never opened up the Word of God and I tell them, it is such a privilege and honor for me to be able to take you on your first journey ever through Scripture. God, please don't let me mess it up. Right? You see? So we're the Rome of Christ to those who are saved, to those who are perishing. Check this out, verse 16. To the one, we are the smell of what, saints? Death. So if you're a Christian and someone is not a Christian, you are the aroma of death. When people, have you ever smelled something that stank? Right? Don't be like looking at people in the room here because then, you know, I start, my mind starts wondering, did they brush their teeth today? You know, I'm just kidding. You know, the idea behind that is this. By the way, this, did I just lean on this? Christian, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah, it's kind of, this is just so cool. You don't understand. I just want to like pet it and rub it and cuddle with it. Okay, all right, so y'all are going, he is strange. 
Winnie the Pooh, stranger danger, I got you. All right, so the idea behind this is that you're the stench of death, so here's what's going to happen. When you walk around a Christian, I've taught you this, when you walk around Christians, they're going to love you. When you walk around unsaved people, there are going to be people that are unsaved that hate you because of Jesus. You can give them your money, your car, everything you want, and two weeks later, they're going to be back behind your back going, stabbing you. It has nothing to do. Stop trying to win them. Not to Jesus. Stop trying to win them to yourself. Stop trying to please them. You will never please these people. They hate you because they hate Jesus. Our job is not to respond in hate. To respond in what, saints? Love. Never going to win them. Never going to win them. And oh, by the way, don't tell me that the, 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 the people that are pseudo-Christians, those who know you the best hurt you the most. Luke chapter 4, Jesus preached his first sermon. They said, aha, and his family, we're really excited. We're going to take you off a cliff and throw you off. Those who know you the best hurt you the most. So it's coming. Just be ready for it, but it's okay. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. Being around a Christian is joy. Like when, when you sense the Spirit of God walking in somebody else, like some of y'all I hug when y'all go out here, and some of you I just, the sense of, I mean, the Spirit of God is just like just oozing out of you. It's just oozing out, and the, the Spirit within me goes, wow, look at that. Like Jesus was amazed with that when he would say, I haven't seen such faith in all Israel. He would see those things. The fragrance of life. Who, who is equal to such a task? So that the key to this promise, here's why I want you to know that Jesus is always with us. The key to the promise is this. That Jesus is not only our ruler, but also our shepherd. Go down to, to verse 6. Go down to verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will what, saints? Come on. Who will what? Shepherd. He didn't just say Jesus is a ruler, is a manager, is a boss. Do what I say, not as I do. Just do this, do this. Know your role, Jabroni, right? Not. He doesn't do that. He's a shepherd. Uh, in fact, I'm going to turn back to Micah. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I want to turn back to Micah chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 2. and verse. I want to read to you. I want you to see it up here. I want you to read it and like be consumed it and bleed Bible. Like take it in, soak it in, like just drink it. Verse two, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. Oh, that's beautiful. Out of you will come for me. One who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This is a messianic prophecy that they all knew. Every scholar knew. In fact, you even saw, they asked all those chief priests. Verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock. I love a shepherd who will stand before me in the presence of the enemy. I love a shepherd who will stand. That's why in Ephesians 6, he tells us when we put on the, the spiritual armor of God, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Oh, no, no, no. He tells us to stand. Why? Because we're not standing alone. We're standing with Jesus as our front and rear guard. Hallelujah. That's the way it works. 
He is a shepherd. That's why he will never, listen, he will never deny his promises. Hold on to Jesus with everything you got. Worship him with everything you got. Give your life to his calling. Just obey and watch what God does. He will open, I'm telling you, he will open the floodgates of heaven and you will be blessed by just obeying. It will be tough at your job. It will be tough at home. But God will wear them out. And if they fire you, God will always have a job for you because in all my years, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread, King David said. So he says this, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of it, of the Lord, his God. Check this out. And they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. When we allow Jesus to be our shepherd, we are constantly going to the ends of the earth. The team is getting ready to go to Ethiopia. We just got some more money for Peru. We had no idea how the money was going to come, right, Kevin? I'm looking right at how we no idea how we're going to pay for Ethiopia to that Islamic region, the northern far. And the, you, we've got these Muslims that like us. It's kind of exciting. Build a school. And, I mean, I mean some, God is using us, using us. He is shepherding his people in and through us, and he's standing with us to the ends of the earth. This is what it meant. Now go back to chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. Go back and look at it now. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I was looking at that shepherd. I love what John 10, 11 says. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Poimen in the Greek. Poimen, where we get the word pastor. That's what he's saying there. He says poimen. He doesn't use the word episcopus. I'm not an overseer or bishop. That's why I don't call myself bishop, even though that is a technical name for me. I could be called bishop, but I choose not to be called bishop. I could choose, could choose to be called priest, but not to be called priest because I don't want to be called priest. I want to be called poimen or pastor or shepherd because that's what Jesus called himself. And he's the great high priest, not me. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's a shepherd. He is standing, listen, Micah chapter 5 verse 4, he is standing with you and in front of you and behind you. And by the way, the last time I checked, when they take a swing at the bride, they take a swing at the groom. If somebody takes a swing at Jesus' church, God will take a swing at them. Just ask Paul when he was persecuting the church, and then all of a sudden God knocks him off the horse with the bright light of Jesus, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now he's going after the people of God, and Jesus says, you're going after me. Swing at the bride, swing at the groom. All right, so let's keep going. So what does the shepherd do? He provides guidance and care and compassion. Craig Blomberg talks about that. That's the idea behind this. So let's get on to verse 7 and 8. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Now listen to the lie from the devil. Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He wasn't going to go and worship him. He was going to go and kill him. Herod was this legally installed, I love what, I love what uh, Blomberg said. He was this legally installed ruler of Israel. And he professed conversion to Judaism. He professed to be a Jew. 
He was the one who built the wall around Jerusalem. The only thing left, you don't have the temple left. Y'all know that, right? The Dome of the Rock, the, the, Muslim, the Muslim mosque is on the Temple Mount. And around it is, is this wall, the wall that encompassed the temple. And the only thing that's left is the western wall called the Wailing Wall, where you see the Hasidic Jews praying back and forth and people putting all their prayers in the wall because there is no temple. That's just the wall. Herod built that. It took almost 40 years, this, this big, huge, con- he did a lot of things. Of course, he had, he had other, he was kind of a, uh, he wasn't a monotheist, he was a polytheist. He, he had all these other places he built to worship all these fake gods and all this other stuff. I mean, he was, he was a pretty wicked man. And he rejects the newborn king, he says, and, and plots to destroy him. In fact, as he got older, he got so paranoid that he began to kill off his family members. Because you see, whenever there was a comet or a star, the, the astrologers were like, a king was born. It's a sign. It's a sign, right? And so he, he, would, he, would, absolutely, he would think that um, you know, something's getting ready to happen. So he would go and he would kill his own family members, his own children. This man was wicked. In fact, uh, the pagans, they don't... They don't uh, kill a lamb, they kill a pig. Remember that? In Mark chapter 5, we talked about that. So what would happen? Listen to what Caesar Augustus, the Caesar, because they, they, Herod and Caesar used to kind of go at it. Listen to what he said. He's talked about this. He said, you know, uh, and Blomberg writes on this, talking about um, Herod. As Herod grew older, he became increasingly paranoid about the threats against his person and throne. He had numerous sons, wives and others close to him put to death because he feared plots to overthrow them after frequent disputes with caesar augustus i'm reading this i'm reading this after frequent disputes with caesar augustus the emperor uttered his famous pun that he would rather be herod's pig than herod's son that's the type of wickedness that was around he was not, Herod did all these buildings. He did all these superstructures. He did all this stuff and made it look really nice and really good and pleasant to live there. But inside, he was paranoid. He was not a shepherd. He was selfish. But look back at verse 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the uh, time of King uh, Herod, Magi from the east, uh, this is awesome, came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? Can you imagine what that said to Herod? You're not really the king, he is. Oh, I, I love what it says. I mean, that scared him. In fact, the Magi, I love what Blomberg talks about. I mean, Jerusalem was packed during this time. So the Magi must have come with such an entourage that it stirred the whole city. In fact, we can read that it did because look what happened in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. There must have been this entourage with these wise men, and not really wise men per se, but, you know, kind of the astrologers, and I mean, that it wakened the whole city. Then what was interesting here, let's keep going. In verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Now, let me stop for a moment. This gets really crazy. Basically, Herod called together 24 elders. There were 24 elders that were in charge of like the chief priests and elders and all these people. 24. Now, if you want to get something really deep, I, I want to go deep just a little bit here towards the end. Re- Revelation, you'll read about the 24 elders who fall down at the throne and worship Jesus. But yet Herod had 24. It gets very interesting. 
Now look what he says. Then they begin in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then they quote Micah chapter 5, uh, verses 2 and 4. So in other words, if Herod were truly a devotee of tr- Scripture, Blomberg says, he would have rejoiced greatly, but he does not. So here's, here's how, listen, yes, Jesus is our shepherd. He's never going to lead us, I mean, uh, uh, lead us astray, but he's always going to be with us. And one of the ways we can know is through Scripture. That's why I want you to get into it. I want you to eat it. In other words, he, he looks at Jesus, this child, as a mortal, I love what Blomberg say, mortal threat instead of the king that he is. And it's through Scripture that we can understand truth. But it's through the Spirit that we receive the truth. And so the key to understanding that God is with us, Emmanuel, because that's the promise, means walking in the script, uh, Spirit. Scripture is key. When we listen to the Spirit of God, He will speak to us supernaturally. John chapter 10, verse 27 says this. My sheep listen to my voice. Notice the, the pastor reference, the poimen. I know them and they follow me. And I love the prophetic utterance in Isaiah to the prophet, probably one of the greatest prophets that any Jew would look to Israel as, and says this in Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's how God speaks to us supernaturally. And that was what I want God to speak to you today. I want you to hear the voice of God speak to you now. You're probably not going to hear an audible voice. I rarely, uh, I, to my recall, maybe one time I ever heard an audible voice. But I'm telling you, I, I promise you that, and I'm not sure, was it Lord? I was like, oh, I was scared. But let me say this. You will always hear the Spirit speak to you inside. Complete peace, and you know that you know that you know you have to do it. He'll do that. So the first promise is this. God will always fulfill. He is with us. Here's number two. We're going to go fast. Ready? Second promise, God will always fulfill, that he will always fulfill. This is the second promise that God will always fulfill is this. Jesus will give us joy. Jesus will give us joy. With all that's going on in the world, right? Sandy Hook Elementary School, all the bad things that are happening, all the world is in uproar. Is it, listen, is it, is it, is it, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, a mental problem? Is it a gun problem? It's a sin problem. It's a sin problem, and nobody wants to deal with that issue. We have morality problems. I love what Huckabee said. He said, we take God, out of prayer, or take God out of schools and pray out of schools, but when tragedy happens, what's the first thing we do? Our president will get up and pray, but he won't have a national day of prayer. And I wonder what God thinks. But I want to support our president and bless him. Jesus will give us joy. I want us to go back there. Look in verse... Nine, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So the star moved and stopped over there in Bethlehem. When they saw the star, they were what, saints? Overjoyed. The Bible says overjoyed. Now, I want to give you the definition. So circle it, underline it. It means this. It means this. It's a compound word. Uh, the first part is, is where we get the word mega from like really super large in other words it's a the first part of the word means space or dimension and the second is joy received so when you receive joy 
this word overjoyed, when you receive joy from the Lord, it cannot be contained within ourselves. It takes up space and other dimensions. That is why Christians do what we do. That's why we love people that don't love us back. That's why we're kind to people that are not kind. That's why we can walk in the room and change the atmosphere, the Spirit of God in and through us, change the atmosphere with joy when everybody else is down and upset. We can still have joy in the midst of trials. Because it changes the space and dimensions. It cannot be contained. It overflows. That's why true Christians, I'm talking about people that love Jesus. A lot of people, I pray in others, a lot of people say they love Jesus. I mean, excuse me, a lot of people say they're Christians, but very few people love Jesus. The people that love Jesus, I mean, are really going out there and really loving. And there's this joy within them. Our world expands because of joy. It cannot be contained. It is a flood that produces a movement. Jeremy Pollitt, sitting over there, one of our elders, you talked about we need a movement, Jeremy. Well, right here it is as I was studying and preparing as the Spirit of God was speaking to me, and he's telling me these words. This is how you get a movement. When Jesus is so thick and present, he becomes a movement in our lives. It cannot be contained. We cannot contain it. So if you're dating somebody and you're with somebody that is trying to contain the Spirit of God in you, if you're not married, cut that zero and get you a hero. I mean, that's it. Don't let people squelch or put out the Spirit's fire. Don't receive that. Receive the joy of the load. Lord, listen to this. It is a flood that produces a movement. It changes everything it comes with in contact with. It's like water over a rock, this joy is. It will eventually wear it out. It will shape it. It will break it. And what the rock once held in will burst forth with resounding joy. That is what joy does. And that is why the heavens, when Jesus was born, the angels broke through in Luke. And it was this joy. And on earth, peace toward men on whom his favor rests, it broke forth because it cannot be contained. And then this is the third and last promise. The third promise, Jesus will restore and use what the world rejects. This is, one of my, this is one of my favorite parts that the Lord showed me in this as I was studying this. And someone else said it, I think it was Blomberg, and then I began, it began to just expand in Scripture to me. The Spirit just kind of just opened this up. Listen, this is what I love about the promise of Jesus, that Jesus will restore and use what the world rejects. When I sat there in your shoes, and I was in high school, and I was so far from God, but I was like you. I was in worship every Sunday because my parents made me go. And I had to do everything, and I could care less about God. I wanted to do what's right. I knew what to do was right. I could not make myself do it. But here's what happened. As the world would look at me and say, you can't be used, God says yes and amen. Verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. I love, I love what Blomberg says, that because of the presence of Jesus, he transformed Bethlehem in from a, a, an insignificant town into a city of great honor. When God comes in your life, you become a place, a house of honor. You and I are a house of honor. God is honoring us by his presence. So he changes that. And then I thought, I thought about this. Not only did God change 
Bethlehem and took it to this insignificant nothing city where there were shepherds and shepherds were not even allowed to go into the places, the temple to worship because they were the job, their occupation, they were outcasts, yet God appeared to the outcasts. God loves the outcasts. Here's what he did. What about the Magi? The Magi were frowned upon in Judaism. They were frowned. These are astrologers. These are people that worship evil. I mean, these are people that are outside of even the ability of God to save. And yet, All of a sudden, these people that were studying the stars encountered God by the book of Numbers. And so the Lord was showing me, even Blomberg talked about the ancients thought comets and falling stars predicted the fall of rulers. These magi, Blomberg says they were pagans, yet God had chosen to reveal himself to them. And then this is the last, the the third thing, I love this, this is the Holy Spirit was, was showing me. And Blomberg talked about it, he said this. What's interesting, even Jesus was this way. Somebody who was born shrouded with illegitimacy, right? I mean, Mary's pregnant. It's not Joseph's baby. Illegitimacy. The world rejected it during that. I mean, can you imagine? Even Joseph almost rejected Mary. We read about that, right, in Matthew chapter 1. Till God speaks to him in a dream. But we see this legitimacy, yet God puts his hand and says, no, it's Jesus who is my appointee. It's Jesus who is legit. So no one is too far gone. So the Lord was showing me, Jesus will restore the broken, heal the lame, give hearing to the deaf, the blind will see, the hurting will get well, the sick will be healed, the poor will be rich, and the dead will be raised. That's what Jesus can do because he fulfills his promises. Psalm 30 verse 5 says this, For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There was a video I was going to play, and we can't play it. It's an old, old video. In fact, it was out on VHS, and I remember when I first started pastoring, I came came a part of this, and some of you might know this. There was a guy named Calvin Hunt. Calvin Hunt was a, was a, was a, he was married. He had a nice apartment. He had some kids in, in New York City there in Brooklyn. And, and he, his wife gets saved and they get radically saved there at Brooklyn Tabernacle. And if you know anything about Jim Simula, you know that he's had a tough road too. And his family and his daughter, his daughter go wild for a while, all kinds of stuff. But this man stayed faithful to his Lord. His wife can't read music. Yet God gives her a song and she leads the choir and the orchestra and they've had Grammy after Grammy after Grammy that they've won. And here's this guy, Calvin Hunt, and Calvin got so messed up on crack. He got so messed up on crack that he remembers, he remembers going over to this place and it was like, it would sleep in a doghouse. And I wish you could see the picture. I wish you could see it up there. He would sleep in a doghouse and watch over this other guy as the line was all the way down the street to sell crack. And he said, you know, one day he realized, here I am sleeping in a doghouse when I have a nice apartment. I could be there with my wife and kids. So he says, I'm going back to the house. He'd been on a binge, a crack binge. It, it, just, it was just messed up. So he, he, he sobers up. He goes back to his house. His wife is not there. And little did he know that his wife was at the prayer meeting at Brooklyn Tabernacle. So he goes to bed, he's exhausted, he's like, man, I'm just going to lay down, I'm going to go to bed. And let me tell you what's amazing, as he goes to bed, the Spirit of God 
Remember, God will always fulfill his promises. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will always give you joy. Those are the key. That's the key. And, what the, and he will always use what the world rejects if it will come to him. And so all of a sudden, Calvin's there. And, he, and the Spirit of God says, get up and go to the church building. He's like, what? He said, get up and go to the church building. So he gets up. I mean, here's this guy. He gets up, he gets on the subway, goes down a couple blocks, gets out, walks into the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And in the middle of him walking down the aisle, like the bride would walk right here as he's walking down, there are thousands of people together praying. And at that very moment, praying for him by name. And as they're praying for Calvin, the pastor, Jim Simula, looks up and says, and there he is. And at that moment, that man gives his life to Jesus Christ and he's forever changed. Now what's interesting about Calvin is if you YouTube him, you will hear the voice of an angel. One of my favorite songs, and it's kind of an old song. He says, I'm clean, I'm clean. I've been washed in his blood. I'm clean, I'm clean by the power of his love. It's a fountain that his blood was shed for me. I'm clean by the blood of the lamb. I'm clean. And he sings a song like the voice of an angel. And here was a guy who was on crack that the world rejected, who becomes this artist. He's gone to be with Jesus. But here's this guy that God uses in a powerful way. He was short, rejected by everybody else, but God used him. What the world rejects, God will use if you will bring the greatest gift to him that you have, which is your breath. Now, I close in this. So how are we going to engage? We've engaged in song. We've engaged by understanding his word. And now the moment, the most holy moment that we have in all of scripture, the most holy moment we have right now is we engage with our and I'm going to ask you, everybody in this room, to do something. I want you to worship God today through an action. An action. Now, I'm not saying that you've got to go and give money. That's not. If you're hearing that, you're hearing wrong. Unless God is telling you. Here's what I want you to know is this. Is that this. If you go back there, look down in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to end with this. Verse 11. On coming to the house. See, this is after he was born there in a manger. They're in a house. This is not at the time. This is not Christmas Day. It is not. It's later. Between three months to two years. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and did what? I am asking you today, if you are physically able to bow, I am asking you to maybe stand. I'm asking you to lean over in your seat. Something. Listen to what it says. This is the power of the Lord. Then, after they worshiped, they opened their treasures Worship through giving at the end of worship is biblical. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you know what that means. You know what gold is. That's regal. That's royalty. That's the highest medal that you, you have in that time. It was, it, it was meant he was the king. Frankincense and myrrh, these are spices of royalty. These are perfumes of royalty. Yes, myrrh is what they would use for the dead and embalm the dead with. Yes, but this is what they're doing. So I'm asking every one of you to do this today. But here's what I want you to know. They gave something to him because they worshiped him. But I will show you today, there is a satanic Christmas in the Bible. I want you to see today, there is a satanic Christmas there are people that are false giving. Giving to Santa and worshiping whatever that is, is wrong. It is a lie. And you say, but John, it's a good lie. It's a white lie. It's a nice lie. It's a fun lie. Let me tell you about lies. Lies are very dangerous, and I'm going to point it out to you. 99.9% truth and 0.1% lie is still a lie. Prove it, John. Okay, let's do the percentages. 365 days in a year, correct? Yes or no? I am faithful to my wife 364 days. If I was faithful to her 364 days, is that pretty good? But there's one day, you do the math, that I choose not to be faithful. Is my marriage truth or a lie? Talk to me. Half lies are still lies. Half truths are still a lie. Revelation chapter 11, let's turn it in there and, I'm, and we're done. Satanic Christmas that I want you to see. And this is what's coming. The world gives gifts. The question is, who are we really giving the gift to? Revelation chapter 11. Verse 5. I'm going to ask the worship team, come on up here, Robin. I want you to play through this. I want you to set the atmosphere. Revelation chapter, five, chapter 11, verse 5. If you're there, say amen. Verse 5. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths. And devours their enemies. These are the two witnesses that are standing in the middle of the tribulation. And these two witnesses would stand in the temple. Because see, the temple belonged to God. This is right before the abomination of desolation where the Antichrist is going to come and take over. And these two witnesses would stand and they would testify that God is good and that Jesus is Lord. And that anybody that stands against him is going to receive judgment. This is in the end times. And this is what is coming. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Remember, I told you the holiness of God is the fire of hell. Remember that sermon? Probably the best one I've ever preached. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. So as they would go to attack these witnesses, fire would come from them and kill them because 
God still owned the temple. We are his temple. Verse 6, they have the power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Some people say that's why it's Moses, because how he would take his staff and he would touch the Nile and it turned into blood. And they would say that's Elijah as he would call down fire from heaven. And so some people say it's them. We, we don't know. Some people say it could be Enoch. Verse 7, when they had they have finished their testimony. The beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. The beast, Satan, will attack these two witnesses and shut up the word of God. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom, and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. We know that as Jerusalem. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Now, let me tell you, you might be going, how is the whole world going to see this death? Isn't it amazing that back 2,000 years ago, God prophesied this scripture knowing that we would have the technology of satellites that everybody could see what is happening in real time via computer or TV. Pretty amazing. Refuse them burial. And here is the satanic Christmas. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending, they will celebrate by sending, they will celebrate by sending each other gifts. Satanic Christmas. Because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. We have a choice. We have a choice this Christmas to stand with the shepherd who is already standing, Jesus. We have a chance to give in the name of Jesus. We have a chance to worship in the name of Jesus. And I want to tell you the greatest gift that you will give is not the one you give to a person on December 24th, but at this very moment as we bow the knee and we worship him and we give him the very breath that he has given us, we give it back to him and say, to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to him be all the glory. Let's keep reading. The inhabitants of all the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, <laughs> I always love when God has that transition. The breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. We have a chance today 
as pastor, I feel called by the Lord for us to give him the gift that is due his name, and that is worship. And yes, worship is through financial giving. Yes, worship is through singing. Yes, worship is through praying. Yes, worship is the reading of his word and the teaching of his word. That is all worship. But if we don't do it from the heart, then it is not a true gift to him at all. And so today, I just want you to take a step back before if the Lord allows us to live and we get into, listen, we get into this season, I just want you to step back today and I just want you to worship Jesus. I want you just to step back today and say, God, I don't even know who's around me. Don't even, I'm not worried. Right now, I just want to worship you. If you came in here today and you're angry with somebody, listen, what a great way to worship and just say, you know what, Lord, I forgive them because you forgive me. And we move on into that. We don't give gifts so that other people can rejoice in what the world has. We give gifts back to Jesus, who is the Lord of the earth. And if today, if you've never received Jesus, I want to tell you right now, the greatest gift that was given is on the cross Jesus has been given for you. And all I know that the scripture says is trust that's here in your heart. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you believe God rose him from the dead and you'll follow him. That's repentance. Following him today. It's an opportunity to worship. And I don't know how you want to worship. I don't know what you want to do on this front row. I don't know what y'all want to do. I have no idea. I have no idea where the Lord's going to take us. But I want us to open up to the Spirit of God and let the Spirit take us in worship where He wants to. That God might look upon us today, that He might rend the heavens and come down, and He might look upon us today and say, Today, you know what? There's a group of people who are called by my name, who are humbling themselves at my feet, and they are worshiping and they're saying, if I get cancer, praise Jesus. If I live to 100, praise Jesus. If I don't become what I want to become, praise Jesus. As long as I become what God, like Calvin Hunt said, I'm, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And that's praise. Because it's not about giving gifts to people. It's about giving a gift to Jesus. Because of Jesus, we give to others. That's the greatest gift. So I'm asking you today, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to come and tell. There'll be, I want, listen, I don't care if you're a member here or not. You know who I'm talking to. Because you are a member even all the way from Massachusetts. If you get a word, you give it. Let people pray over you and love you. Let God give you a gift as you give your gift back to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we call upon you. The King of kings and Lord of lords, we call upon you, our Savior, our Redeemer. We love you, Lord. And I don't know how people want to worship today, and I don't know what gift they want to give. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just coming and bowing. I don't know if it's coming and asking. I don't know if it's just coming and saying, I thank you, Jesus. I don't know if it's coming and, and, and lifting up 
uh, a word from the Lord. I don't know what it is, Lord. I, I just, I, I don't know if they need a word. I don't know what it is, Lord, but I just want to know this, Lord, that you are pleased with us as we give everything back to you. Some of us sit in our seats and bow. Some of us stand. Some of us coming. Get on our face right now in front of the Lord as I'm praying. And we worship you today. We are asking you today, Lord, to move. We're asking you, Lord, today that this would be the true Christmas, that it would be a Christmas that's reflected like it is in heaven, that it will be a heavenly Christmas where we lay our crowns at your feet. We lay what we have at your feet. And what we truly have is not the clothes on the back or the money in our pockets. What we have is the breath of life that you've given us. And we give it back to you, the giver of life and worship. That's the greatest gift. May we do what they do in heaven right now as we bow and worship to you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We need you. Merry Christmas. Jesus. Merry Christmas, Emmanuel. Merry Christmas to the Father of lights where there's no variation or shifting of shadow. To you we give you glory. Hear our prayers, Lord. Give us answers. Meet our needs according to your riches and glory. And we commit now to worship you with everything we have. We love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name.